Welcome to our new series called One Another. And we've called it that because in the New Testament, there's around 60 commands using the words one another, all coming from the same Greek word, alelon. And you might have heard these commands referred to as the one another's. But we can assume because of these that the way we relate to one another in the church is important to God. In fact, many of the ways the church is described in the Bible are um, imply relationship with him and deep dependence on one another. The church is described as a family, a body, a house. It's not just a group of isolated individuals, but it's a group of interconnected people who relate with one another and need one another in order to thrive. And by my count, the most frequent one another command is to love one another. It appears 14 times, so it's almost a quarter of all the one another commands. And one of them can be found in John 13, 34 to 35 that we're going to look at now. And it says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, we're called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And when we love one another like this, it has a huge impact on our experience of church community. Imagine if as followers of Jesus, we are relating to one another with radically sacrificial love all of the time. What a remarkable community that would be to be a part of. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus has in mind for the church to be, a remarkable community, a family that is characterised by love for one another. So let's take a closer look at this verse. It says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So if we're called to love one another like Christ loved us, how did he love us? So the best place to look, I think, for this verse is to look at the context of where this verse sits to see what kind of love Jesus was talking about when he said this. And so you can find this story at the beginning of John chapter 13. We're not going to read it now, but Jesus had gathered his disciples in the upper room to share the Passover meal with them. And during the meal together, he does something that would have been absolutely unimaginable for the disciples. He stood up, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash their feet. Now, there are a number of reasons why this would have been unimaginable for the disciples. Um, Firstly, their feet would have been really dirty. It wasn't just that they wore sandals and so their feet would have been dusty from the road. The roads in those days would have been dirty. You can imagine there were donkeys around, cows around. I don't even know what other kind of animals are around. And where animals are, poo is. And so there wouldn't only have been dust on these streets, but there would have been plenty of animal poo. And guess where that animal poo would have ended up? On their feet. And in those days, people ate um, reclined at tables like this. So this is kind of what it would have looked like as they were eating the Last Supper together. And so you can imagine, you're not going to want someone's feet to be near you if they haven't been washed. 
But foot washing was the job of the lowest servant, probably because it would have been such a disgusting job. And so when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, they must have been stunned that Jesus, their Lord and Master, would take the job of the lowest servant. And that act was shocking enough, but even more so when you consider whose feet he was washing. You see, Jesus, as he washed their feet, washed Judas's feet, who just after that goes off to betray Jesus by telling the chief priests where they can arrest him. Jesus washed Peter's feet, and Jesus knows that very soon Peter is going to deny him three times. And in fact, Jesus tells them all that evening that they're actually all going to desert him. So he not only loves them in this humble and servant-hearted way, he loves them when they deserve it the least. They were not going to return the favour. They were actually going to do the very opposite. And you know, he loves us in that very same way too. And it's his love for us that is not only an example to us of how we should love others, but it's the thing that enables us to love like that. This kind of love requires us to put ourselves last and put our brothers and sisters in the family of God first. And so over the course of this series, we're going to be considering this call to love one another in the context of hospitality and conflict and singleness. And so today we're going to be looking at hospitality. So as we begin to think about hospitality, let's think about what hospitality is first, shall we? Um, And so we're going to look to the Bible to find that to start with. So we're going to Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2, and it says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So it starts by saying, love one another as brothers and sisters. And so I wonder, what would you say that kind of love is like? Loving someone as a brother or sister. Now, I have to acknowledge here that our families often are not ideal or perfect, right? And so as we think of love for brothers and sisters, let's think of what it would be like ideally rather than what it sometimes is like in reality. But when I think about that love for a brother or sister, I think about the permanence of it. There's a bond in family, isn't there, that overcomes disagreement, overcomes difficulty. It brings a permanence. There's a sense that there's no time that's too inconvenient. You know, your brother or your sister is there when you need them. They help us out when we're in need. And I'm sure you could think of many more things um, better than my examples. But then it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And that word hospitality in that verse, it's a Greek word, And it's pronounced philoxenia. And it's the word philo for love and the word xenia that means strangers. So it literally means love for strangers. And it's the opposite of our word xenophobia, which literally means fear of strangers. So this word hospitality, the definition of it is the love of strangers. And so in practice, hospitality is loving one another as brothers and sisters and showing that same kindness to strangers. 
And God has been really challenging Simon and I in this area for a while now. A few months ago, I saw an Instagram post by Mary Lentz on the topic of hospitality. And I just wanted to share with you her slides um, that I saw on Instagram. I'm going to read them through for you. It says this, many people avoid hospitality because they confuse it with entertaining. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to minister. Entertaining is an event. Hospitality is an attitude, a way of life. Entertaining is optional. Hospitality is commanded. Entertaining fulfills your own social needs. Hospitality meets the needs of others. Entertaining sees people. Hospitality sees souls. Entertaining is temporal. Hospitality is eternal. Entertaining is fun. Hospitality is often inconvenient. Entertaining honours self. Hospitality honours Christ. Entertaining is most often a group of people. Hospitality can be just one. And then um, she went on to write under her post um, these words. When people think about hospitality, we might think about parties we've planned and think about the exhausting work of hosting a ton of people. But hospitality is not a party. It can certainly include many people, but it can also just include one. Hospitality also doesn't mean planning a four-course meal. Hospitality can be as simple as inviting one person over for a tea or coffee. It's not about shallow mingling. It's about getting to know someone, encouraging one another, showing compassion, maybe imparting biblical wisdom. While entertaining is typically for friends or family, hospitality can also include a stranger, an acquaintance. While entertaining might focus on decorations and aesthetics, hospitality cares not about the size of our home or our decor, it cares about a warm welcome. While entertaining literally entertains, hospitality leaves guests feeling refreshed, encouraged and recharged. Do not confuse the two. The ministry command of hospitality is far more superior. You can start small. I don't know about you, but I found that post um, so challenging, so convicting, but so inspiring as well. This call to hospitality that we have. Simon has been studying for a master's through Dallas Theological Seminary for the last four years. And because of COVID, he hasn't been able to go and do any person classes until a few weeks ago. He had the opportunity to go. And so we began asking around some of our friends in New Zealand if anyone knew anyone that might be able to host Simon while he was there. And he was put in touch with a beautiful couple who um, live in Dallas, who opened their home to Simon. And as I was thinking about this kind of hospitality that we're talking about, I thought of this couple because they welcomed Simon into their home as if he was their son. And they treated him like family. They fed him, they um, took him out for meals. They were so kind, they were generous with their time. They were generous with their things. And so Simon, who was a stranger, they treated like family. And I thought, wow, what a picture of hospitality that is. I also find it fascinating how closely the way Jesus is called to hospitality aligns with Te Ao Māori and Manaakitanga. The Māori dictionary 
says that manakitanga means hospitality, kindness, generosity, support, the process of showing respect, generosity and care for others. And this is a hugely important part of Māori culture and an incredible way for those of us who are Pākehā to connect with our Māori brothers and sisters and, and with the culture of mana whenua and with aligned hearts in this way. And I just think that's a beautiful thing that we have. So with this kind of hospitality in mind, this loving one another as brothers and sisters and showing the same kindness to strangers, I want to look at four things I think we can learn about hospitality today. And the first thing is that we are called to it. Let's go to Mark 10, 28 to 31. As followers of Jesus, we are called to hospitality. It says this. Then Peter spoke up. This is to Jesus. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Have you ever been in a meeting and your boss has uh, promised you'll do something and you think, oh, okay, I'm going to do that, am I? I think that's how we should be thinking as we read those words. Jesus is promising that if anyone joins the family of the church, that whatever you have given up in terms of family or fields or whatever in your pursuit of Jesus, that in joining the family of God, you will receive a hundred times what you have given up. Which means that we as the church need to be that family for people. Jesus is promising that that's what we'll be like. And so it makes me think, are we living up to the promise that Jesus makes here about the kind of family that church will be for people? You know, when I think about what it takes for me to feel like I'm part of someone's family when we're not related by blood, I think of consistent kindness and generosity. I think of opening your home even at inconvenient times. You know, there's always a seat at the meal table if you need it. There's always a cup of tea or a listening ear. And our pastors in the UK did this for us. We were so welcome in their home that I spent my early hours in labour with Gracie in their home while I waited for Simon to come home from work. He was working in London. They cooked burgers on the barbecue and I ate burgers in between contractions and their kids looked on horrified every time I had a contraction because I don't think they'd ever seen anyone in labour before. You know, we were made to feel at home, not only in their home, but in their lives. And that's the kind of hospitality we're called to as believers, as the family of God. The second thing I want us to remember is that we must plan for it. We have to plan for hospitality. Romans 12 verses 9 to 13 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
as I read those verses, it strikes me how active the words are in those verses, like hate evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honour one another, keep your spiritual further, be joyful, be patient, be faithful, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And when you think about that word practice, it means to do something over and over again until it's second nature, right? The word that's translated as practice here, it literally means to follow after or pursue. And I love that picture. We are literally to be chasing down opportunities to offer hospitality to people. And I think in order to do that, we have to prepare for it, don't we? We have to budget time. You know, every single one of us has 168 hours in a week, unless I've done my maths wrong. We might sleep on average, if we're lucky, seven hours a night. Um, we might work 40 hours of the week, which leaves 79 hours left. But just like any other finite thing we have, um, time runs out, doesn't it? And so we need to choose carefully how we spend our time because every time you say yes to something, by default, you are saying no to something else. And so I wonder, how intentional are you about the things you're choosing to say yes to? And therefore, the things that you're saying no to by default. The hospitality we're called to is not optional. The Bible doesn't tell us it's something we should do if we can fit it in around our busy lives. This is one of the most important things we can do with our time, because people are the most important thing. There are a couple of moments a week that we as a family practice hospitality where we have prioritised our time to do it. And I'm not saying we are the model in this, but I want to share our experience. Um, the community dinners we run at East is one of the examples of what we do. Every Wednesday, I finish work at 2.30 and I start cooking. And we show up at the community centre at five o'clock. We set up all the tables, we serve dinner, and about 7.15 I get home, having spent the evening having dinner with people in our community. We choose to spend our time in that way because we want to pursue hospitality. You know, we've recently decided to try and prioritise Sunday lunches as a time where we'd invite people over for lunch after church. And that means for us, we need to spend time on Saturday preparing food because we don't have time on Sunday morning to prepare food. And so that's something that we've committed to recently in order to pursue hospitality. But I think as well as budgeting time, we need to budget money if we're going to get serious about this. You know, money as well as a finite resource. And I'm sure you've noticed that things are not getting any cheaper. You know, Simon and I run a pretty tight budget as a family and we had become frustrated that we just didn't have the margin in our budget to be hospitable when we wanted to be. And so we reprioritised our money and we now have a pot in our bank account that's called hospitality. And that is set aside only for hospitality, for inviting people over for meals, for cooking meals, care meals if people need them, so that we can be generous as the need arises. You know, it helps us pursue hospitality, and it also ensures we can respond when unexpected hospitality is needed. But I don't want you just to imagine today that you need a large house or a lot of money in order to be hospitable, or even that you need to be able to cook. When I think about how Jesus showed hospitality, he just shared what he had with the people around him. I don't know, he didn't have a big house. I don't know if he could cook. He definitely didn't have a lot of money. 
but he shared what he had with people. He was generous with his time. He took people along with him. Uh, I was thinking of the moment he cooked fish for the disciples on the beach. I will give him that he could turn water into wine, which we probably can't do. And that was probably a slight advantage. But I wonder what you could choose to spend some of your time or money on this week in pursuit of hospitality. What's a step that you could take to plan for hospitality? The fourth thing is that hospitality demonstrates the gospel. It demonstrates the gospel to those who don't yet believe in Jesus. Romans 15, 7 says this, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Another word for hospitality in the Bible is lambano, which is connected to the word that's been translated here as accept one another. And accepting someone as Christ accepted me is a picture of the gospel, right? You know, Christ accepted you and me before we ever deserved it. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we are called to accept others. We're called to receive them, even when they have nothing to offer in return, because this is the way that Christ accepted you and me. And this is not a typical way to live in our society. Our culture knows entertaining, but I imagine that many of your neighbours have not seen the kind of hospitality that we're talking about here. And so as you're welcoming your brothers and sisters from the church into your life, how about including your neighbours and your friends who don't yet know Jesus? Because this kind of hospitality is a powerful demonstration of the gospel. And then finally, I just want to say that sometimes you'll be the recipient. It's okay to be the recipient of hospitality for a season. That's the beauty of the church. You know, when you're strong, you can show love to others. And when you need love, you can receive it from others. It's okay. Being the recipient of generosity and hospitality for us has been a powerful reminder for us to do it, to keep giving it when we can. But I just want to finish where I started, and that's with love. 1 Corinthians 13 says... If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." Love is the thing that gives hospitality its meaning. Love is the thing that gives hospitality its power. Now, I was reading this week this verse in 1 Thessalonians that says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as as does for you. And it's that picture of as we receive love from God, would it overflow from us? that as we live out this love, that we would offer hospitality to those around us. And so that's my prayer for us. And so let me just pray as we finish that God's love would so overflow from our lives that we would live the way that we've talked about today. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the extravagant and incredible love that you have shown us. 
Thank you that you loved us so much before we ever deserved it, before we ever even looked for you, you loved us and you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you so much for that love. Lord, I pray right now as we just take these moments to reflect, Lord, would you give us a revelation of your love for us? Would you fill our hearts again with your love that we might overflow love to those around us? And so I pray for each of us today. Would you show us the steps we can take? Would you show me the step I can take? Lord, would we be people who are known for hospitality? Would we be a church that is recognised for the incredible family that we are? Lord, for the home that we give people. So I pray, would you move in our hearts today? We love you so much. We're so grateful to you. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.